Regression or the loss of a skill previously acquired is a common characteristic of autism. From potty training to pica, today we will share our family's struggles with regressions and what steps we're taking to help our girls continue to make progress. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Oh, good. I get to zoom out. For those listening on audio, you won't know why I said that. But, um... (laughs) Let me go ahead and introduce the elephant in the room before we get started. Uh, First of all, let's do some good news and bad news. Which one would you like first, Matthew? Let's go with good news. All right, good news. So we are so excited. We officially hit 70,000 listeners of the Embracing Autism podcast. So woohoo! Thank you so much, everybody out there listening. Continue to listen. You guys are so amazing, and the support we get from you is great. If you have not yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash at Autism Wish. See how many of you we can get so that you can see this video because visuals are often important. And uh, today is one of those days. Because the bad news is, if you're listening, you cannot see this. If you're watching, I have quite the shiner. And um, there's a story there. (laughs) In case you're listening, I will just describe it to you briefly. I basically have a big old black swollen eye. That basically happened earlier today due to an autistic meltdown that my eldest had. And I was kind of in the line of fire. We debated whether or not we should change the topic of this episode to talk about that. But I figured, you know, I would just wait a couple more weeks to talk about it. Let myself recover from the trauma first. (laughs) I was going to say after a tragedy, let's give the the dust a little time to settle before we dive into that. (laughs) If you're listening on audio, you'll probably want to check out the video just to poke some fun at me because I look silly. Today's topic is actually going to be on regressions because this is something that oftentimes people think might only mark the beginning part of a autistic child's journey. But oftentimes there's actually regressions later on in life as well. So as your child continues to grow and develop skills, there's still a possibility that they could still experience some regressions. We are definitely feeling that with our child. They had some regressions early on in life, honestly, like as babies, which was one of the first red flags that we saw. But we are also seeing now as they're four and five new regressions and kind of like a new genre of regression for us as they've become older. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I guess when I thought of regression initially, I thought it was just kind of like the the starting point for, okay, like we had some skills that we had built up, some basic communications with our, I guess, year and a half year old daughter, 18 months. And then she had like lost some of those skills. So like originally, I think our oldest was able to blow kisses. I think that was a big one that uh, was really meaningful. And I think she was able to say mama and papa. Yeah. So those were kind of cute, adorable little milestones. And then something happened when we hit kind of that 18 month mark. And then she had no knowledge that she knew how to do that. And we lost that for what, a, a year and a half, maybe? Like, I mean, yeah. It didn't come back until relatively recently, within the last probably year or two. So I mean it was it was a huge chunk of time. I mean, in comparison to her life, that we had kind of lost that uh, skill. And so originally I thought that that was basically kind of like regression when mixed in with autism. I wasn't really aware of, oh, okay, are there other 
regressions that you'll kind of experience along the way. And now I think we can safely say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So Yeah. And along with the words, like the verbal regressions when they were babies, the first one really experienced that regression. The second one, not so much because it was more of a delay. But with the first one, in addition to the verbal regression, there was also other social regressions. So like at the beginning, when she was a baby, she would give us eye contact. And I even have videos of her giving us eye contact as a newborn and even towards that first year of life. And then she started avoiding eye contact. I mean, like aggressively avoiding where she would shift her entire head away in order to avoid eye contact, which with somebody who's hypotonic because she has low muscle tone and with somebody who is such a young baby like that is quite a gesture for her to make. She's really going out of her way to avoid that eye contact. So that was something that we noticed as well in terms of a regression or like a skill that we had seen her previously had that she basically lost after that point. We did gain some of those back. Obviously, the words have come back. She does say mama, papa. It took a while. It took lots of therapy and a couple of years to get her back to that point. But she is verbal in terms of the eye contact. She still pretty much avoids eye contact. But, you know, that's not really a big problem. We don't really sweat the eye contact. And so we have seen a regaining of those skills. So it is possible for an autistic child to lose a skill and then gain it back. However, it's also possible for a kid to basically not get those skills. Our youngest daughter, for example, she has gained her verbal skills, essentially, but she has never quite caught up to where her sister is or has been. And she still struggles with like occasional loss of words and really losing that vocabulary whenever she's in high stress situations. So she still struggles with that. And her experience has been a little bit different than our oldest kid. Right. And I would say for our youngest, I mean, when I see her kind of in those situations as a father, it's it's kind of painful because you see kind of her getting stressed out because she's not able to get her meaning across to us, to anyone else. And you can kind of see her kind of start to like whine a little bit and kind of like sometimes shake out of frustration. I think of it kind of as painful because you want to obviously be there to try and help in any way you can. But sometimes there's that missing piece of you're kind of playing a guessing game a little bit, trying to figure out, okay, what her needs are. So it is, it is sometimes painful um, with some of those regressions a little bit. It seems like it creates kind of a little bit of distance between you and your kids. So it's, it's, it's definitely a hard thing to kind of go through, but I, I definitely think, I mean, obviously like pushing and trying to make up uh, the ground, kind of get, getting to back to if possible to where you originally started from is, I mean, always important. Yeah, for me personally, I'm an advocate for not giving up. You can always take a break to regroup, re-energize, but not giving up because you never really know what your child is really capable of. I always feel like sometimes there's something just at the threshold and when we stop just shy of it, we miss out what's on the other side. So that's just like my personal philosophy. But one of the things that we've noticed more recently in terms of regressions is our eldest. She's now five and she was fully potty trained. It took her a little while. I think close to like three and a half ish is when she was like mostly potty trained at four. She was like fully potty trained and she was fine for a good year. And then for the last couple months, she has just been really, really struggling with getting to the restroom on time. She has a lot of interoception issues. And that's something that we've been trying to work with. 
We've been working with a variety of therapists. We've been trying to work on incorporating reminders, trying to make sure that she's going or asked to go every two hours. We even implemented a potty training technique into her school's IEP. So even the teachers were working on it. And despite all of that, she's still struggling. So I'm starting to think that perhaps there might be more than an interoception issue. Maybe not. But our next steps essentially are going to be looking into it medically just to make sure that there isn't some other medical issue as well. Right. And I mean, essentially, in the meantime, I think we're trying to and I think we're doing a a fairly decent job. I mean, sure, there's challenge. I mean, struggles and sometimes it's a little harder than others. But as far as the constant reminders of, okay, do you need to use the potty? And then sometimes um, when we're transitioning from one task to another, we'll kind of go with her to the restroom to make sure that she at least tries, even if she says like, oh, I don't think I really have to go. But just because sometimes she is kind of caught off guard where she doesn't think she needs to go. And then when we sit her down, she does actually go. So I think it's important that we do kind of take a step back, kind of work a little bit slower. Instead of just like rushing through our activities, we kind of focus and make a point of, okay, let's try to use the restroom now. And then in half an hour, okay, let's try it again. Okay, you just finished your lemonade, for example. Let's try it again. So as far as us kind of setting up little reminders of constantly trying to get her to use the restroom, because we know that that is something that she's uh, struggling with. So, I mean, I think there are definite ways that you can try and target individual areas that are uh, becoming challenges again, or if they're regressing, if they're coming back up again to try and make it a little bit easier. Yeah. And I will say it's natural to become frustrated with a regression. Like our kid was, you know, able to use the restroom, no problem for like a year. We thought that we were past that stage. And now all of a sudden we're having accidents all the time. We're having to clean up the carpets. We're having to clean up the bathroom and sanitize the floor and all sorts of things. And it can get frustrating because you kind of feel like, oh man, come on, we're doing this again. Like I thought we were over this phase. But I feel like personally, it's really important to me to always project to my child that, you know, it's not their fault. Like this is okay. We'll keep working towards this goal because at the end of the day, it's very likely that if your child is regressing in something that is, for example, potty training like our child, more than likely it's something that they can't really control. And so for my kid, I really think it's an interoception issue because she doesn't seem to be very aware of pain, for instance, or other basically body space awareness and all of that sort of thing. So I, I feel like the most likely scenario for her is that she's just not feeling when she has to go. So that normal signal that we get to our brain when our bladders are full that tells us, oh, it's full, we got to go. She's not getting that. So it wouldn't be right for me as a parent to get upset and like yell at her or punish her for having an accident. That just wouldn't be fair. So I try to view it from the lens of like a medical condition rather than seeing it as something that my kid is doing intentionally. And I know there's a little bit of a conflict in that statement in the sense that some people are very anti-pathologizing things. And so pathologizing is basically trying to medicalize things and in particular medicalizing autism. But I feel like in certain situations, like this particular scenario, it makes most sense to pathologize because it is not 
your child's fault if they have a medical condition that is causing them to lose control over their body, for instance. And that's similar with like meltdowns. It's it's a medical condition. So if we don't see it through that medical lens, then society will just start blaming them. They will think it's a social thing and then they'll think it's a behavior thing and it's their fault. So for me personally, I'm okay with medicalizing for that reason. And I think initially after she had gotten potty trained and then we had like an accident or two, I think my first like gut reaction was essentially like, we're past this. Like you, you know, the routine to kind of go through. So I guess that was kind of my fault there where I was thinking like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, because I I wasn't aware that you can have multiple regressions kind of as you're going forward. So I I thought it was more so like, oh, okay. Like that's kind of weird. Like uh, I thought we already passed this, but now obviously she's not having accidents or waiting until the last possible moment to realize, oh, I have to use the restroom. That's not like an enjoyable thing for her. It's more of a panic. Oh no, I need to use the restroom now. I find that she finds herself in kind of more of a like dire situation rather than she enjoys being in that situation. So it wouldn't be right to basically have any type of punishment for such a situation because she obviously doesn't enjoy realizing like, oh, I need to use the restroom and having to run to the restroom. It would make more sense when she She's more comfortable where she's able to walk to the restroom comfortably and then use it from there. So, I mean, it's not like she's trying to create a panic situation because who would want that? We have to remember that these kiddos, they're going to be going to school and they're going to be having these struggles in school. I mean, our, our child has these struggles in school. That's why it was in her IEP. And as they get older, like right now, this is going to be her first time going to a legitimate elementary school. She was in pre-K before. Other kids are going to notice, like other kids are going to realize that, oh, she's having an accident. She's doing this and that. And even at this age, kids are bullies. Like you will see elementary school kids saying, oh, look, she wet herself. She's a baby, this or that. So you have to realize and recognize that they are already going to be essentially punished by society. As unfortunate and as sad as that is to say, it's true. Society, especially very young kids, seem to be kind of heartless when it comes to this sort of thing and disabilities in general. So they're already going to be in a really extra vulnerable place. As a parent, it's more my duty to make sure that I give them that safe space and I give them a place where they can be vulnerable and express what they're feeling in however way they're capable of and be a safe space where they can do that and really provide the comfort and support that they need, as well as the tools to try to help them overcome some of these struggles. And it doesn't really end with things like potty training. We've also seen with both of our girls, we've seen an increase in their pica behavior. Autistic kids tend to basically eat things that are inedible. So they might eat dirt or they might put rocks in their mouth or something like that. And this is a behavior that we had worked with quite a while, probably for like a year or two with both the kids, with their occupational therapists. And they had really, I thought, overcome it. And it seems like, again, this past year, they have really started to struggle with that again, particularly in like the last month or so, where they're starting to put stuff in their mouth again. And it's become a problem again. It seems like it's transitioned a little bit from what it used to be. So originally, uh, when they were younger, it was more so like harder things like gravel or sometimes there's like the bark that they have at like playgrounds, just kind of like the, the mulch, essentially. So it originally seemed like it kind of started off with those. But now it seems like it's softer items. Paper towel, she'll kind of like the feel of kind of like chewing on it. We're resorting back to, OK, like trying to figure out what is a good texture that we can try and replace 
that need with. And so, I mean, we've come up with using some of the new cool little chewy things. Yeah. Yeah. So we find like something that they're interested in. So they're both obsessed with like rainbows, for example. We found a cool little chewy that has different texture for a rainbow. And it seemed like that kind of helped on a couple of different fronts. So it helped, I believe, a little bit because obviously it's a necklace. So she can kind of pull it up and it's easy to access anytime she has that need. But then also it seems like it's a good stress reliever. So if she's kind of stressed out a little bit, it gives her something to do. So she's able to kind of pick it up and kind of gnaw on it a little bit. And that gets out some frustration of stress. And it isn't just us who have noticed this. I mean, her her preschool teacher had mentioned that it had made a huge difference with her involvement with the class. She wasn't as stressed out or worried about different situations. She's a little bit more calm with that. It's always kind of a, you're trying to stay one step ahead of the game, trying to figure out like, okay, how can we try and figure out how to address this concern and then try and like resort back to seeing, okay, did that solve the problem? Otherwise try something else. So you almost have to kind of be like a detective kind of investigating, trying to solve the current mystery that you're kind of working with. So um, it can definitely sometimes be challenging. I still don't think we've fully (laughs) resolved some of these items, but I mean, I think any step towards progress is a success. So I guess if we keep at it. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I kind of mentioned in the title of this episode, one step forward, two steps back, because sometimes that's what it really is. Sometimes it's not progress and it feels like you're going backwards. But sometimes it's the reverse of that, where it's like two steps forward, one step back and you are making progress. It just doesn't feel like you are. So oftentimes that's what a regression can also be. It can be a moment of transition. And so it feels like it's a reversal. But overall, if you keep at it, they actually make more progress. One of the things that we noticed, for instance, is like with her pica, it was essentially still a step forward in the sense that this time around, she's not putting in her mouth the things that we had resolved before. So it was things like gravel and sticks and things like that. And she isn't putting those things in her mouth. So we did successfully stop her from those permanently. She has not done that ever since. It's been a couple of years. The things she's putting in her mouth now are totally brand new textures. It's the paper and it's also Barbie doll shoes. She really likes the texture of little Barbie doll shoes and little tiny rubber ducks. She's like putting them in her mouth, those little tiny ones. What we've learned is that she's basically seeking a new texture that she wasn't previously seeking. And there's a lot of obvious concerns with that. There's like the choking hazard of the Barbie doll shoes. There's also the issue that she is actually ingesting the paper. So she's eating it. So she's ripping off pieces, chewing on it and swallowing it. So it's not just chewing which is what she did in the past. Now it's escalated to eating as well. And so this is something that we are now trying to work through with her therapist. Also worrisome because, I mean, chewing paper and eating paper is not great. But if you try something a little bit harder that might get stuck, then that's a trip to the emergency room to try and resolve that. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that is worrisome. Her younger sister seems to be really interested in like gum, for example which I think that kind of satisfies a texture need where she'll get like a piece of gum and she'll be chewing on that. But I don't think our oldest really likes gum. She's scared of it. She's scared of bubble gum, remember? Oh, because like the bubble? like Because of the bubble. So she's uh, scared of balloons. So that's usually the first thing that people say with that is, is your kid old enough to chew gum? And so our youngest is able to chew the gum and she loves it. That's what I used to do when I was young. 
I would get my chewing stimulation from (laughs) addictively chewing gum all the time. And that seems to be working well for the younger one. The problem is that the older one has this phobia of balloons because they pop. And she's basically projected the same phobia onto the bubble gum for the same reason. She's terrified that somebody's going to blow a bubble and it's going to pop. And she doesn't like the sound of that. So even when our youngest one is chewing gum around her, she freaks out. Like she thinks that she's going to blow a bubble and it's going to pop. So she can't even be around bubble gum. So unfortunately, it's something that's working great with our youngest, but we can't really do for our oldest. Yeah, because we also struggle with so many different food aversions. It's difficult to find something that would be gum-like, but would be able to replace it. Even candy. She doesn't like candy. Right. (laughs) So there's nothing like that has like the constant like chewing motion that she would actually try. Because we could try like taffies or things like that, but she doesn't like candy. So it's definitely like a problem that we're having with her. If any of y'all have suggestions, leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let us know what you think we can replace for her because we're willing to try anything. So go ahead and leave comments. We'll go through them and we'll try them. Right now, that's the biggest thing with her. The other thing that we found with the Chewies is we have these Chewies. They seem relatively receptive to them, but it seems like they can't really figure out using them on their own. It's almost like we have to constantly prompt them to use them and we have to constantly kind of put them in their faces. We have the necklace ones that they wear, but even with the necklace ones, we have to like prompt them to use it. It's like they still have that mental model in their minds of like, oh, I want to chew this shoe or this piece of paper. And it's taking a while and it's really a process to try to get them to switch that mindset into using the Chewy. The good news, though, is with these little rainbow Chewy necklaces that we have, they are more interested in using those than previous like Chewy tubes that we've had in the past. So even though we have to like first find the necklace because they typically take off the necklace and it ends up somewhere on the table or somewhere on the sofa. So we have to find it. But then once we put it back on and we remind them, oh, you have your little chewy, like, why don't you try that? They are very receptive to actually chewing on it. So that is kind of a bonus, but you're absolutely right. Unless we're constantly there, basically like saying, use it. They're not really seeing that as like a tool that they can utilize whenever they have that sensory need. I think until we're able to get kind of the switch to click where, oh, okay, cool. I can get this oral stimulation by myself and I don't need anything else other than like the necklace, then we're we're kind of in a little bit of a difficult situation, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that the other struggle with regressions is if your kid is of school age, it's hard to tackle a regression if your school isn't like fully on board with the plan that you have at home because you really need to be consistent throughout their day. And if they're spending like eight hours a day outside of your home, they're spending a good majority of their waking time at school. So it's really hard to keep a consistent program in place for redirecting their PICA behavior or maybe if they have a regression with potty training or what, whatever it may be. You have to basically hope and depend on the school following through with that plan in order to make any progress because they have your kid most of the time. So that's also another thing that has been a bit frustrating and challenging and honestly one of the reasons that we have considered homeschooling and and continue to play with the idea of homeschooling in our minds our kids have a lot of unique challenges that the schools can't really keep up with regression is one of those especially 
now that we're on summer break. They've lost even any of that consistency that they did have in school. And so we're worried once they go back in school, how's it going to be having to restart all these new systems and routines with the school and then going to a new school because they'll both be going to a new school, having a new teacher. Oftentimes that change is something that will trigger regressions. So I'm kind of concerned that that might actually make things worse, at least initially. I'm expecting at least a few weeks or month or so setback. The absolute massive change in routine, change in activities, learning everything that's new that happens at school because this is a new school for both of them, learning new people because they know no one in their class. Yeah, I'm expecting the first few weeks, month or so of school to be very challenging for them. So, I mean, the best thing, I mean, that we can do, obviously, when they do have to transition back to school, which honestly is actually coming up really quick. I mean, surprisingly. Yeah. Is basically just to try and keep everything as structured and normal in their at-home life as possible. So we still have the therapies that they're attending. We have our routine at home as far as the activities we do, as far as like art time, reading time, different things like that. So it'll be an interesting challenge, but I mean, trying to maintain some sense of stability for them might help until they kind of get the hang of being back at school a little bit. There are a few things that you can do at home that we are trying to do for these sorts of regressions. It just depends on what the specific regression is. But with us, for example, with the potty training, we're working on printing out and putting up some visual schedules and visual supports. We've realized that both of our girls are really receptive to visual supports. They've done a lot of testing like academically, and the testing has basically found that if those visual supports are not there, our kids struggle a lot more to follow through with anything or understand anything. And so we're noticing just how big of an impact just having visuals up makes for them, which oftentimes people take for granted because they're there and then your child improves and then you think that, oh, they're fine. And then the visual supports are gone. And then we're like, oh, no, why are they not able to do this? Why are they not able to do that? And it looks like a regression. It can make you feel like your child is experiencing a regression, but they aren't actually experiencing a regression in that situation. It's that something changed in the sense that you took away the visual support, for instance. So that's something that tends to happen in the summer. If your kid was going into one of these programs and they had lots of visual supports, they had lots of support from the aides or the teachers, and then they come home and then they're there for the summer and they suddenly start losing their ability to do certain things that they had while they were in school, a lot of times parents are like, oh no, my kid is regressing. And it's not really a loss of the skill. It's the loss of understanding how to complete that skill because the support is gone. So if you implement those supports at home and you try to basically mimic as much of that as at home as you can, you can essentially minimize some of those regressions. And we've had, I mean, great success and I guess great failure while we're on the topic for both of those. So, I mean, um, originally we had kind of a day planner, would you call it, of kind of the different activities that they would go through for that day. And they would move like their little character down to the very bottom, which would basically be like bedtime. And they did great with it. They loved seeing the progression through the day. And then more recently, we had set up like when they come home from school, oh, okay, like let's take off our shoes. Let's put them in like the little cubby. And then let's tell, I think it was like tell mommy like if we're happy or sad or like what our mood is. So it had started off going great when they came home from school. But then like since school has stopped, we haven't really like reinforced it. So now anytime they come home, 
we're like chasing after them to like go get their shoes and it's kind of like a like scavenger hunt on like trying to track them down because that schedule has kind of <laughs> gone completely out the door we need to start working like okay this schedule isn't just when you come home from school it's whenever you come home anytime definitely staying on top of any type of schedule that you create and making sure that it is a routine and it's easy for them to see, understand. Like our girls love like moving their little like character down the chart. So I would definitely have something enjoyable that they get out of it as well. And it could, I mean, make a huge difference. Um, at least it did for us when we were doing a good job with it. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I will say that is our fault. Like I dropped the ball there in the sense that I created an after school routine and I didn't consider that, oh, geez, this routine's going to change when you're not in school anymore because it's like put away your backpack, for instance, and they're not using their backpacks in the summer. So it just didn't make sense to continue with that routine. So we didn't just abandon it. It just didn't make sense anymore. And it didn't cross my mind that I should have created a summer routine. And so I should have theoretically created another one of those that makes more sense for the summer whenever we're going out, coming in, put your shoes away, that sort of thing. The other thing that I did to incentivize that that worked really well is I created little characters for them that were their favorite animals. So our youngest, her favorite animal is an octopus, and our oldest, her favorite animal is a duck. And so instead of having to move their names down the board, which a lot of people do, I let them pick their little character, and then they can make their little character go down that little process. They're really receptive of acting life out through their favorite characters or stuffed animals. So whenever we flip things of like, oh, it's not you doing this, it's octopus. It's not you doing this, it's duck. For some reason, that works really well for them, and they're really receptive to doing it that way. So that was like one of the things that worked for us that if you are at home struggling with, I would recommend you try like maybe having one of those after school routines. I basically just bought a laminator from Amazon and I just used cardstock paper or regular paper. I just whipped it up on Canva and then you just print it out or you can get some that are already pre-made on, on Google, just a quick Google search laminate those, put some Velcro stickies on them, and then bam, you've got a schedule and your kid's going to love it. And we're now starting to see how we might need that in the bathroom for like the bathroom regressions. We're considering putting up that sort of routine in the bathroom because even though she knows, she's clearly struggling with it. So again, visual supports might help. So that's kind of like our next step there. We've got our hands full as far as like not necessarily with like the kids, but like the, the homework we have to do on our end, like making sure like we're keeping up with the different things that we need to keep on, on track. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like, like our daily routine. Cause we go out of the house a lot. So I'm thinking of all the times when we come back as far as going through like the little checklist and I'm like, we've kind of neglected that a little bit. So yeah, definitely try to get like in the mindset. So like before you even go in the door, you know, to kind of like stop them before they run off and go play to like, okay, let's stop. Let's do this really quick. And then shoes, jacket or whatever you need are put away. And then you can kind of go and play. So honestly, it turns out to be like making sure like the parents are kind of in check and have everything like situated before you can even make any type of expectation or request for your kids, really. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the big thing where we, we have to make sure like we're good to go before we can expect them to be good to go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much what I've learned from our experience is that if our kids are experiencing a regression, something has changed. 
And our goal is really to figure out what has changed and how can we accommodate it. That's really what it all boils down to. Something in the environment has changed. Something with them has changed. For instance, maybe they're sick and they can't tell you. And that's why they're having accidents. They could have a UTI. You don't know. So that's why it's important to kind of like monitor regressions, monitor what happened before, during, after, see if you can, again, get an idea of what the pattern is, what might be the trigger, and then try to accommodate those things as best as possible. So that's what we're doing right now. That's the journey we're at right now. And that's what we're going to continue to try and hopefully continue to make progress. The autism journey is always going to be back and forth. It's never smooth sailing. So we expect there will be more regressions and we expect there will be more progress. It's just a game that we got to (laughs) play and play as best as we can. That's pretty much all it is. With that said, if you like what you hear, please consider supporting our channel via the Cash App or at Autism Wish on Venmo. Your donation is going to help us keep our studio lights on, keep our programs running. We are just thrilled to have 70,000 of you out there listening. So just a dollar from each of you would really help us continue to bring this and bring as much amazing content as we can for you. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you all next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash autismwish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.